0: Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Happy Easter! Today we celebrate an empty tomb. On the third day of the Bible it says, He isn't here, He is risen from the dead just as He said would happen. That's Matthew 28, 6. This is what all the hype of Easter is all about. It's Jesus proving to the world that he is God by defeating death. If we've never met before, my name is Aaron Master, and I'm the pastor here. On behalf of my little family of Eliza, Claire, and my wife Sydney, we want to wish you a happy Easter. Unlike that picture in that right there, today the family request for me was to wear pink. I guess this is what happens when you have three ladies in your life. I went from being a bachelor like a decade ago to wearing like grays, blacks, maybe some blues here and there. To this, pink, all right? And I wouldn't change a thing, though, because I I love them so much. Now, if you've you've never been to Centerpoint before, know you're in for a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. And even with it being Easter, today is no different. I promise I won't make you say or do anything weird during the service so you can just relax. Now, with that said... I didn't promise I wouldn't make make you feel uncomfortable, such as by bringing down a casket at the bringing of the service. At least we didn't have a person physically get out of it. Or will we? (laughs) I promise nothing will be popping out of that casket this morning. If something does, please let me know. I will be just as concerned as you. I would be very shocked as well. But the start of our morning service was meant to resemble a funeral because the death and the loss of Jesus is part of the Easter story. Before we can have Easter Sunday, resurrection, or Jesus defeating the grave, we need death. And it started to make me just wonder, if all this happened today, what would Jesus' funeral look like? What would he want it to be like? Have you ever thought about that for maybe even just yourself? Like, what do you want your funeral to be like? Here's a few epic ideas I stumbled upon just to get your brain going for a second. Maybe you're a runner and you want, you want everyone that shows up to your funeral to run behind the hearse. Or maybe, maybe you're really into Star Wars. I don't know if that's your thing. Maybe. Maybe you're really into Marvel. you got Captain America carrying your casket. That'd be amazing. Maybe you're in the quilted blankets and every person gets a quilted blanket that they, like, cuddle up with. Maybe it's UPS trucks. You're a UPS driver. They're lined up for you. Or maybe you're just an Amazon user. They're there for your memorial. I don't know. One of the two. I mean, the theme could be amazing, but most importantly, what are people talking about there? What are people remembering you for? What are people saying your life legacy was? As I've aged, the things I would say I want to be remembered for has also changed. Like as a teenager, for me, it was like the athletic accomplishments, like the legacy, we won two conference championships in soccer. Yeah, that's what I want to be remembered for. Having a a school record stat. Yeah, that was awesome. For baseball, it was, we broke the two-year losing streak. I'm from Berlin. We were horrible at baseball. We we broke that two-year losing streak. Besides sports, it was academics, my demeanor, meaningful friendships that I thought would last forever. So much so that my close friends and I, at that time, we were like, why don't we get tattoos, matching tattoos? It'd be amazing. I'm so happy we didn't, because I don't even talk to some of them anymore, right? And that's just not a great tat story. This is something my friends and I got in high school. It just wouldn't have been good. Now, into like a young adulthood or transitioning out of teenage years into young adulthood, the legacy I wanted to leave was to be known for uh, one that experienced it all, whether it was different cities or cultures or adventures or hobbies or foods. So I pursued that. And then a transition to being one who worked hard, who got the right degree, the right job, the right house, the right car. To today now, where as a man that's kind of creeping up on middle age, according to Wikipedia, I'm like two years away of middle age, but for me, my gut is kinda of to be remembered for my successes or what I start, like a church or a nonprofit, the ones I impact, the type of children I raise, or the family I have. None of these things are bad things. But I was really thinking about these, and I started to wonder, is that really what I want my life legacy to be? I mean, the sports records are kind of forgotten about now and beat by someone else. My friendships have changed. My career, house, and cars have all changed. And starting an organization is great, but it's one amongst the thousands out there. Are these things really what I want my legacy to be? Again, don't get me wrong, these things can be great and absolutely are important, but is that what we want to be remembered for on our deathbed? I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but death is coming for you. It's coming for all of us. James 4.14, it says, your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it's gone. You might be thinking, wow, Gee, thanks for the Easter celebration, Pastor. This is so fun. Like literally a funeral and now this? I promise we're changing gears soon here. But death should make us think about the legacy we are leaving, which for you is what? What will your legacy be? And will it last? I mean, do you even remember your great-grandma's or great-grandpa's real name? besides Nana or Nani or Nana? I mean, the grandparents' names these days, they're a little out there, they're a little out there. You're not remembered by your name or even like a typical grandparent name these days, but by like Lali or Jama or Boo Boo or Nama or Sughee, right? I hope I didn't just drop some slang drug words or something right there, but, but really, do you remember your grandparents or great-grandparents what they did, what they accomplished. Not really, right? I mean, they passed on you, so they left something of value. But if we're honest with ourselves, our individual life here is but a glimpse, and it's easily forgotten, if not in a few decades, for sure by a century. So is leaving a legacy even a thing? This week, I did a quick Google search of the most famous people in the world, and number one is undoubtedly Jesus on almost all the articles. Jesus is number one, and then, like, amongst the list is, like, you know, once in a while, like, Abraham Lincoln, Justin Bieber is on that list. Like, it's just like, it's really strange who's on the list, but Jesus is undoubtedly number one. And he left this legacy that 30% of the world still looks to him after some 2,000 ish years after his death. How and why? If we study Jesus' life, his life for the first 30 years or so is pretty unknown and insignificantly, or insignificant. There's basically nothing, like zero legacy for the first 30 years. At first you might be thinking, maybe he had a midlife crisis and something changed in his world or something such as buying a motorcycle. Maybe he, wanted, he should have just bought a motorcycle or changed his hairstyle. But instead he did something else, Right? He felt he needed to do something. Maybe that's what you're thinking happened for Jesus at 30. But actually, 30 years old back then was kind of old. It was old. Life expectancy was 35 to 55. So Jesus was past that, he was past his middle age. He just felt this motivation for his ministry to start. What happens is, how it starts is at 30, he gets baptized. And the thing that starts his legacy is this. It says in Matthew 3, 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I mean, that's got to be pretty memorable, right? A voice from the sky talking about you. And people around you hear this. Well, Jesus starts his ministry. He visits with people. He heals them He relieves burdens for them. He performs miracles for these people, whether it's with the leper, or turning water into wine, or raising people from the dead, or healing a Roman soldier's servant, or helping the lame walk, or friending and accepting the outcast. I could list event after event after event that Jesus did. Yet how many of us can actually recall most of these events, or all these events, or remember all the details, or every little miracle he did. Very few of us, yet he still has quite a legacy for most people out there. To keep going on his story, he recruits 12 normal everyday people, followers to learn from him, to be with him, and they're sent by him to go and do some of the same things that he's doing in the world, like teach and heal people who are sick, these, guys, these men healed them, and they're able to do it, and it's amazing. People are moved. Lives are changed. People respond by either experiencing forgiveness themselves or starting to give it to others. They're starting to feel accepted if they were an outcast, or they're starting to realize we should accept the outcast. And this type of thing continues on for three years. Can you imagine the thousands that were impacted by Jesus? I mean, thousands showed up to some of his teachings. One time he fed 5,000 men. Would you be impacted if you saw something like this happen in your community? It's a start to a legacy, right? It's a start to a legacy that you wouldn't want to miss out on. Well, Jesus continues this, but not without headaches. The Jewish religious leaders of that time, they're thrown off by him speaking about God in such unorthodox ways. They feel they need to get rid of him. They convince one of Jesus' close friends to accuse him falsely, in which Jesus is then betrayed. He's taken into custody. He's brought into court and, uh, on the account of blasphemy, claiming to be God. And the people who have been following him all this time, the ones believing in him, the ones that were experiencing his miracles, the forgiveness, the encouragement on life, are now second-guessing everything they experienced and saw with Jesus. And they all essentially run. Instead of collecting thousands of followers' support in his trying time, he collects shouts of, crucify, crucify him. And over a series of events, he's sentenced, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's attached to a cross to be crucified, he's killed, and he dies this brutal death. Although there was talk about his death to come with Jesus' closest followers, no one understood it as fully as this. So even his closest followers are sad. But most of all, all of them think, this is the end. This is the end. And they abandon him in those days of his trials and death for fear of their own life. The few that remain, they, they lay his body to rest, put him in a tomb with all the burial garb that one would do for the dead, expecting nothing more from Jesus. Jesus has this immense rise to fame, but appears to be put to a sharp stop when his death came. I guess if I'm honest, I don't really blame his followers, right? I mean, during that time, it wasn't unheard of for someone to do things like this, like teach and do good works. But when they died or were killed, it just ended. It ended. Check out what the Bible says about people who did something like this before Jesus. It's in Acts 5. It says, Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and all came to nothing. After him, Judas of Galilee appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. And this type of situation appears to be the exact same case for Jesus at least in the first few days. But the difference of Jesus' story is the resurrection. After Jesus was put in the tomb on Friday, on Sunday the tomb is empty. And it's not just empty. Jesus is alive and he returns to his followers and 500 others all at once. And he shows them he is living again. He shows them he's defeated death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing the person you thought was gone? Well, Jesus meets them face to face Peace be with you is what he says to them. And he leaves them and us with this understanding that we too can be raised from the dead through him. Romans 6, 4-5 it says, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And before he ascends to heaven and leaves us, he says, Go. Go and get more. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. It's the Easter story. It's amazing, right? It's a great story. But as I just told you, and we revisited it, were you able to see the obvious reason Jesus is famous? Jesus, the most famous person of all time. He's not famous because of what he taught or what he said or what his upbringing was or who he was with or what his successes were, but it's because he defeated death. It's because he has the ability to defeat the inevitable ending that we are all headed towards. Jesus, absolutely, he has an amazing heart, So we reflect on his teaching, we reflect on his care for others and help towards them. He's modeling the way of God, of how God wants his followers to live. But if it's just that, nothing really separates Jesus from any other nice person out there. The real reason Jesus is famous is the claim of him defeating death. To be real with you, the reason a lot of us maybe give Jesus a more thorough glance or thought compared to others is because a belief in him makes a claim that we can also defeat death. If that's you, like, and that's why you, were, you maybe are considering Jesus, it's not wrong for it, but it should make us question, who is Jesus to you? How do you answer that? As you sit here today, why are you here on Easter I never want to, like, lead people to pretend or fake before God. But I honestly get, like, for you, maybe it could be because mom and dad wanted you to. I've been there. Lots of Easter's. That's for me. It could be because you just felt like we got to do the the church thing on the holiday weekend. Maybe that's what you're thinking. It could be because you had a friend invite you and you felt obligated to show up. It could be you're just curious like about church or faith in Jesus. It could be you've been searching for something more or, there feel, or you feel there's something missing in life. But with all those situations aside, who is Jesus to you? Why are you here today? If I were to guess, it probably has something to do with the legacy Jesus left of him being known to defeat death and to be God. If not that, maybe it's the forgiveness he offers his followers or the purpose or the fresh start or the thing that we just crave and need that Jesus offers. But as you sit here, do you believe in Jesus? Why? Why? Earlier I mentioned I have a a three-year-old named Eliza or almost three-year-old named Eliza. And we have been getting into the why question lately. And I'm still new to the parenting thing lately. So it's fun to play along for a little while until I get into a spiral like this. Check it out. You can't answer a kid's question. They don't accept any answer. A kid never goes, oh, thanks, I get it. <laughs> it's an insane deconstruction. It's amazing. This is my daughter the other day. She's like, Papa, why can't we go outside? Well, cause it's raining. Why? <laughs> well, water's coming out of the sky. Why? Because it was in a cloud. Why? Well, clouds form when there's vapor. Why? (laughs) It's comical, but if we just take a moment right now and ask, why? Why should I believe in Jesus? I mean, we know 30% of the world follows Christianity. Why? Because it's the religion that kind of came to the Americas. Why? Because it converted King Constantine in around 300 A.D.? Why? Because the church leaders or religious leaders, they formulated these teachings of Jesus, his ways that early on Judaism practiced, and even in persecution, they formed things. Well, why? Well, because there was an abundance of sources that were out there that were all common and were put into this holy Bible. Why? Well, there were so many people talking about and writing about these encounters with God and Jesus. Why? Because ancestors or witnesses believed in him so fully and experienced personal life change, so they went out and did amazing things in Jesus' name. Why? (laughs) Because Jesus appeared to 500 after he died. Why? Because Jesus defeated death. Well, why? Because John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why? (laughs) And now this is where it starts to get exhausting as a parent, right? Where you get a little tired. Because, like, God created you, and he wants to spend eternity with you. He sees you as a parent sees a child. Why? Because when you create something, you care for it. Why? Why? Well because when a man and a woman love each other they (laughs) just because all right is usually how I have to make it stop at home as well but all jokes aside have you ever thought why believe in Jesus is it because you felt the world is unfulfilling that there has to be more is it because of Jesus's care and forgiveness and fresh starts for you is it because you believe the testimony of 500 witnesses as that would stand in any courtroom today? Is it the fact that the most famous person in the world who ever lived, there is no one that can find his body? Like every other religion, we can find the great teacher's body, like Buddha and Buddhism, or, uh, Mo, or, or Muhammad in Islam, or Moses and Judaism. But Christianity, there is no body because the tomb is empty, Jesus lived a life that was honorable and great like like many others, but his legacy, his legacy and why he is known is because he defeated death and lives forever in eternity, and he wants to invite you into it. Have you accepted that? Have you embraced that? Have you believed that? If not, it doesn't take much to start it. The Bible says this If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you haven't done that before, maybe today's the day you want to. Honestly, if you are feeling a, a tug to do so, do exactly as the verse says. Declare Jesus is Lord, as in declare he's king, the one you know or that you know is fully right, not depending on yourself, to figure everything out, but trusting in a king or a Lord. Believe in your heart, as in believe in your heart he was raised from the dead, and then you will be made right and saved, it says, raised from the dead when it comes to you. When death comes to you, you will then be raised to life. To forever be with God. To get that, it doesn't have to be like this fancy prayer or this extremely emotional time. It doesn't have to be a come to the stage moment. Nothing like that. To get that, it it doesn't have to be anything fancy. But you can literally declare it right now. By simply saying this or something like this in your head and your heart and fully believing it. Jesus, I believe you are Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead. My mistakes and sins lead to death, but I am forgiven and raised from the dead because of your sacrifice. As it's there right now, I want to read it one more time. And maybe you're here, and you want to mean it and profess it in your heart to God. So I'll say it again, and maybe you want to say it in your head slowly. Jesus, I believe you are Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead. My mistakes and sins lead to death, but I am forgiven and raised from the dead because of your sacrifice. If you just said that to God and you meant it, you're a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. If that's something you chose to do right now, today, we have a, like a free little book we want to give you. It's called Following Jesus. You can get it at our Welcome Center. And it's meant to help you on your path, help you on your journey. It also has my email address written in it. Um, I would love to buy you coffee, help you on next steps, whatever that is for you. I get like you're probably not going to reach out, or maybe you're like, I, I don't know if I want to reach out to Aaron. But at least take the book so that, so that it will help you in your next steps of following Jesus. But now what? Now what? Or, okay, I'm a Christian in the room right now. What do I do now? If Jesus left a legacy of defeating death and we too can have life after death through him, does our legacy on earth even matter? I still kind of desire to leave one. Is that wrong of me? These questions are what I want to spend our remaining time on because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not to just live for the current moment or for your own legacy. As a follower of Jesus, you are to have eternity in mind. I want to give you an analogy. You you maybe have seen another pastor do this before with a rope, but um, let's say I have this rope here, and it's kind of like this, and let's say it's this rope where uh, you it's meant to represent your life, right? It's meant to represent you, your entire life. And if your life with Jesus goes on for eternity, this rope should go on forever. Menards doesn't sell those, though, so we have to pretend. <laughs> okay? So this goes on forever, right? Our life here on, our, on this earth, though, or in this current state, comparably, could be like this big. This big. Yet today we spend all of our time worrying about what we're doing here. Here, like, it's kind of like the first 20 years of our life, trying to figure life out, right? Like, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out life and my place in it. Here we, like, raise kids, you know, like, work a ton, you know, do the grind, just try to, like, get through in life. And, like, we start saving, thinking about, hoping for, waiting for these last few years of life, Right? preparing, waiting for that retirement, that, that joy, that, that, that thing that will finally, then we'll be relaxed. Then finally life is going to be good, waiting at this end here. I don't want to point fingers or anything, because it's me too. I'm consumed with those type of things, of thinking about just this life here on earth. I mean, I'm planning vacations. I'm saving for retirement. I'm looking for the next hire, the excitement of life, so I don't get bored. I'm trying to make myself known in this life. I'm trying to find fulfillment from things. I'm trying to acquire wealth. I spend a lot of time planning for the next 50 years of my life. But like you, even if I have the greatest plan for like the rest of my life, it could end instantly and I'm now into this life. I'm now in over here. We spend so much time thinking about this end that honestly, I think at my funeral or when my time comes, I'm fairly certain people would say things about this life. Oh, he was a decent pastor. Oh, he was a good man. He wore pink on Easter. He almost got a tattoo with his friends, though. That would have been, that would have been a, not a smart move on his part. He's got a cute, nice family. Aaron's done some nice things for others in this Fond du Lac community. Uh, Aaron seems, he seems to set up a good life for himself. Good life, like good experiences, trips. But then, after I passed 10, 20, 30 years my close friends and relatives are gone or maybe their memory of me is gone. 50 to 100 years pass and all the people on earth that I knew are basically gone too and my legacy is basically non-existent. I mean at this point I'm here. I'm in heaven, right? I'm in this section of life so I'm drinking pina coladas hopefully, sitting on a heavenly beach with my like rock hard abs, like my new glorious body, whatever it is with God. But But my legacy here would be gone. Is that what God wants from his people? To live life here as a Christian, not really worrying about what we do, and then enjoy heaven with him at the end. Is that what he wants from us? What if it's not necessarily what God wants? I can sense maybe like some of you are like the holy church people in the room right now. You're tensing maybe a little bit, getting a bit uneasy about where's the pastor going to go with this one? Or is it because someone's coming out of the casket? I just had to double check. Some of you are maybe uneasy or tense about that last statement because if I say God wants something more from you than your presence or belief in him, it might feel like you are to work for God or work for your salvation. I get the tenseness of that. Jesus' legacy was that he defeated death and that we can too. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We can't do anything to earn our salvation to be with God one day. But have you ever thought about the opportunity you have here as a Christian on earth? Like, have you ever thought about heaven before and who will be with you there? Who will be in that never-ending part of the rope with you? Scripture, it gives us glimpses of heaven. Like, I kind of summarized some things for you. Um, You will know one another, love and be loved in heaven. You will be in a place of unimaginable beauty. You will see Jesus face to face. You will have new and perfect bodies. Heaven is without anything bad, painful, or evil. In the presence of everything good, holy, and glorious, In heaven, there is no more death, pain, sadness, sickness, fear, stress, anxiety, sleepless nights, betrayal, abuse, headache, divorce, disease, violence, injustice, racism, going to the bathroom in the middle of the night, bad breath, Mondays, right? So when we get to heaven, it's an amazing relief for us. I'm sure it's a celebration like this. Like People are celebrating just like, woo, you're here. Right, it's a celebration. It'll be amazing. It's like a, re, a a father returning home to his kids. Like it's just so exciting. You're, you're home. That's what I'm picturing heaven to be like. I mentioned early on. I traveled a lot early on in my life, and I I studied abroad in Spain, and I took multiple weeks to travel Europe for a while with three other dudes, three other dudes, and all I had was a backpack. And I remember this time. We were laying in the grass one night. I don't remember where. I think it was like Prague or Rome or something like that. And one of them said, what do you think heaven will be like? None of us were like serious Christians or super spiritual. So this was like a unique question to pop up for us. And we didn't really have a lot of Bible going into our comments or our opinions. Just thoughts. One said like, I bet it's like this screen like where you get to see the happiest moments in your life. One said... It's going to be with the people they love. And I think I said something like, I just hope there's good food and drink there. That'd be fun. Not super pastoral, right? (laughs) But the point being, we all felt heaven would be this great place where we are united and we get to reflect on the short part of life we had here on earth. It's actually kind of close to scripture. The Bible, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in the mirror, But then we will see everything perfect clarity. All that I know know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. We will know everything just as God does when we are in heaven. Those that are in heaven, we are going to recognize, Scripture tells us. We will see the happiest moments of our life. We will see it all and understand it all. Now the reason I tell you this is Jesus... On Easter is the reason I can experience that one day. It's why he has a legacy for us here on earth. Although I will never be able to have a legacy even comparable to that, I can be the reason I see more people I love in heaven. I may not leave a legacy that is memorable here for more than 50 to 100 years or have people remember me longer than just a few years but I can make a difference for someone in having their opportunity to experience that other end of the rope by getting them close to Jesus so that they can have eternity I don't know about you but to be someone who helps another be able to experience eternity is one that is leaving a a legacy that lasts forever if first Corinthians is right I will know it all I will see all the people and the ones who helped me get to eternity. First being Jesus, right? But then it's probably my parents' little push to get me to the church more often. It's then my, my grandparents living out their faith in the tough, trying times. It's the youth leader who sat with me and believed in me and sent that follow-up text when I was struggling through stuff. It's that person who sat with me in my doubt and didn't forget me. It's the person that believed in my change. They believed that I was transformed when I became a Christian and gave me a second chance even after I wronged them many times. It's the person who believed in me as a man, a leader, a minister. There are a number of people who have left a legacy of helping me get to eternity. It could even be the smallest decision they made, but they contributed to it. If you're a follower of Jesus today, who are you currently doing that for? Do you have it on your mind at least? Are you helping your, your kids get to eternity? Your neighbor, your family member, your coworker? Are you living in a way that models and points to Jesus? Are you unashamed of expressing it and verbalizing it in the right circumstances? Are you prioritizing the things that you should do for, as a family to produce a higher probability of you all experiencing eternity one day? I never want to leave people in the dark or without action steps to these type of thoughts. So for our last just few minutes here, I want to get you on track with it with just two quick simple things that I think Scripture instructs us to do so that we can do this more. The first is spend more time with God. If you are going to help anyone get into eternity or get to know God, you need to continue to get to know God yourself. Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Are you spending time with God in the Bible, at church, with others, in prayer, in, in growth material? Is there any, like, uh, like, Garmin users out there, or smartwatch users, Fitbits? Any Fitbit users? Okay, a few of you. Um, does anybody get, like, those notifications on your phone, like, you need to work out, right? Or some sort of notification. Even though it's a watch, it feels like a person sometimes yelling at you, kind of like this video clip. Check it out. <laughs> Good morning, Charlie. Ah. You only slept for four hours and 22 minutes. did not achieve your step goal yesterday. I was busy. Or the day before. I know. Or the day before that. I get it. You should brush in a circular motion. Gentle on the gums. You know your buddy Randy who broke his leg last month? Yes. He got in more steps than you today. Not working out. It's time to work out. I need to work. Are you going to work it's out fine. today? Fine! Let's go for a run. Less steps, huh? What's, just... What's going on? No. You're dying here? We've got a mile to go. You're not even going to track these steps? Now I'm getting my steps in. Atta girl, Olive. You are doing an excellent job today, Charlie. Although this is comical, right? And notifications can be annoying. What if this is exactly what you need to get yourself to spend more time with God? Some sort of push. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, it's what I need. I need plans, I need reminders, I need notifications, I need accountability to continue to grow and pursue my understanding of God. I have this mentor who challenged me uh, in a time where I was just kind of mentally drained. I wasn't getting a lot of creative ideas. I was exhausted. I was just anxious about a lot of different things. And they asked me, how much time are you spending with God, Aaron? How much time are you spending time with God outside of work? I'm like, I'm a pastor. I spend all day with God. I spend all day, like, I'm always with God. I'm always doing stuff for God. But then they challenged me, how much outside of that? And I was like, well, enough, right? You know, I don't really take criticism super well. They then said, you only have to give what you take in from God. And I wrestled with that for a while. Like, really? But then it stuck with me. I am only able to give to others spiritually what I am receiving and growing and learning in my own relationship with God. And if I'm not spending time with God growing personally, I will have nothing to give to you as a pastor. Or I only have what I, I, only have what I can take in as a pastor. Now I get, you're probably not a pastor right now, but for you, you can only give to your friends, your family, your coworkers what you take in. As well, So for you, what are you taking in so that you can lead others to eternity? Maybe you need to start with a verse a day notification, like you need a notification that pops up on your Bible app or on your watch. Maybe it's just a one-line prayer that you just you're going to start committing to saying when you wake up, the second you wake up. Maybe it's a repetitive dinner prayer at the table with the family. Maybe it's coming to church or committing to church twice a month or three times a month or every week. I don't know, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's being in a Bible study. We have the midweek, the Core 52. Maybe you commit to that. You can sign up for that and be a part of that. But with all those, spend more time with God. Not so that you become a Bible scholar and know everything, but do it so you have something to give to others. The last thing is be forward thinking. Don't just think about right now, retirement, or this life. Think about eternity and who will be there with you. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm sure there have been people who have helped you get there. They did it to pass on the legacy of Jesus because Jesus was expecting his followers to continue what he started. The people who impacted you are now expecting you to kind of continue that on. Again, this is what Jesus left us with. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. Be forward thinking. Make disciples here and now so you bring more to eternity. What does that look like for you? What do you need to change to make sure that you have a high probability of getting your kids, your neighbors, your family members to make a decision to follow Jesus so that they can be in eternity? Is it changing your spending how you talk, where you devote your time, what you do for work, is it where you volunteer, is it how you spend your influence? These are all things we're going to talk about in our next series, Legacy, starting next week. But as we wrap up today, we see that the legacy that we will leave here on earth is nothing compared to the legacy that Jesus left. But if we can help just one other person experience eternity, the longer part of the rope because of us, imagine the legacy we leave for them. It's one that lasts forever. So as I close this, I'm going to pray that when our death or our funeral comes, our legacy that people talk about isn't just on our accomplishments, success, or what we did, but on how passionate we were about getting people to eternity with Jesus. If you want God to help you with that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for helping Uh, get us to eternity by sending Jesus. It's a celebration of what he did for us and that he resurrected. God, I just pray that we can model that so that others can come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.